Change isn't done yet. It's unclear what will happen. We think we're out of the woods, but there's still an edge case that this thing roars back from the 30% of people that are unvaccinated or from the new Delta or other variants at the end of the year. So remaining nimble, keeping your eye on the data and being prepared for change to continue would be very good advice for brands and retailers. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Over the course of the pandemic, you may have seen some data from Shopkick. Over the past 18 months, the company has been keeping a close watch on the consumer, listening and reporting on their new needs, their new behaviors, and even their new fears and concerns. And while data is constantly evolving and changing based on context, time, and other factors, there are some ever-present points that should guide retailer strategies moving forward. Jason Gillespie is the EVP and Head of Analytics and Data Science at Shopkick, and he has been playing a crucial role in collecting all this data and bringing their stories to life. So today, we sit down and chat about what's changed, what's stayed the same, and what retailers need to know as they shape their back-to-school and holiday strategies. My one key takeaway, the store isn't going anywhere. Listen in and get all the details. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show. It's great to have you. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So as the EVP and head of analytics and data science at Shopkick, I want to start by asking you what your day-to-day work entails. What does that look like? Because obviously Shopkick has a lot of data coming out all the time. So how does what you do support not just, you know, what we see as media, as content consumers, but how does what you do support the Shopkick business as a whole? Yeah, great question. It's actually, that's really the fundamental reason why I'm in analytics, because Modern organizations, data is the new oil. Data is at the center of everything that modern organizations do, whether it's sort of these tech titans like Google and Facebook down to very forward-looking traditional businesses like an insurance company or something with a strong B2C practice. Data is at the center of everything we do. So that means we're constantly using data to think about what is the right way to talk to our users. What is the right way to get and retain new users? What is the right set of offers that we want to make to users to keep them in the app, using it, learning about new products, buying new products? And then on the client side, how do we figure out the very best way for a given client to use Shopkick? There's a lot of things we can do. We can educate you about a product. We can drive engagements. We can drive sales. So it's it's a very full funnel approach. And that makes data very interesting because it's not just sales data. It's not just content data. It's really data across that entire shopping funnel and shopping experience. And that's sort of 
how my role fits in as a center point that interacts across the entire constellation of what we do at Shopkick. I love that. Yeah, data is definitely at the center of everything, it seems. (laughs) And I love your response because it's very much connected to, as I was researching for our conversation, what you shared on your LinkedIn profile. You noted that you're comfortable creating and activating the right story by using and working with all types of data and systems. So it kind of encapsulates your your answer just then. But I do want to dig a little bit deeper into the data and the systems that are kind of at your disposal to craft these stories and to look for patterns and correlations. What does it look like in the world of Shopkick or or, or even in your broader parent company, Tracks Retail? Yeah, great question. And I'll answer that in, in more detail, but I do want to just tangentially mention something about your point where you mentioned the word story. I think that's been the big change in the world of data in the last 10 years. There was a point where the data team was a group of people that sat in the back and made sure that report 767 got generated every Friday at 5 p.m. That world is long gone because data is weaved into everything we do. And sort of, there's a big mural in Santa Monica that says like our, our days begin and end as stories. And if you believe that, then what you're really saying is data covers our day from the moment we get up until the moment we go to bed, because every story we have is infused with data and it's informed by data, contextualized by data. To that extent, to get more back to your original question, because data really is a core of communication now, what it means is at Shopkick, you know, we help personalize the user experience. We want to bring more value to both our users and the clients that use us. And we want to make sure that consumers are rewarded for everything they do as they go through a shopping experience. And what has happened during the pandemic, for example, a lot of these insights have been incredibly powerful and valuable because things have changed. Insights are the most valuable right after a change. So as soon as March came, around March 15th, March 30th, everybody was asking, what's going on? Where are shoppers? What are they doing differently? Why am I running out of things? How do shoppers feel about the pandemic? That's all data. That's all data that we have through their actions and through the ways we communicate with them. We maintain a constant pulse on how consumers are feeling, and we share that with our retailers, with our brands, and with the you know, sort of community, retail community at large, in order to better understand shopper behavior. Similarly, we have a parent company, Trax Retail, that you know we're closely integrated with. Trax provides purpose. They provide data-driven, these purpose-built tools to combine the physical world of retail with the digital world. So they're basically digitizing the physical world, which means they're creating data sets where none had existed in the past, which is incredibly innovative. It's using very advanced machine learning. They have a whole center of excellence around computer vision and around digitizing things that had never been digitized before or hadn't been well digitized before. And they provide these vital monitoring tools that help you understand what's going on in a store at the SKU level. If you're a retailer, if you're a CPG brand, You can really optimize your operations. You can collect all sorts of new data and hopefully improve the productivity of your staff, improve the way you manage your supply chain, improve the way you do things like forecasting or picking and even proper merchandising. So data really is infused in everything we do, both at the Shopkick level and throughout our parent company, Tracks Retail. Incredible. And that data is super contextual to your point earlier, and it's fluid, 
It's ever-changing. Every new moment brings a new data point, essentially, that we can, <laughs> yeah. we can use and either add more detail to a story or even evolve or shape a story. That's why I think your point around the power of Shopkick's research over the course of the pandemic is so, is so significant, right? Because we have seen you consistently, you meaning Shopkick, release new research, new insights around these ever-changing behaviors because you're you're right. I mean, retailers were just looking for some clarity or some insight into what's changed, what do we need to pay attention to now, and what kind of action is appropriate for us as ex-retailer, whether it be big box, whether it be apparel. And the pandemic hasn't just shaped the industry. It's shaped us as individuals, how we live, how we shop, how we interact with brands. So this is going to be a pretty tricky question, probably only because there are so many ways you could probably slice it. But Again, over the past year plus, you know, you've been tracking this data, you've been reporting on it, sharing it with your clients and the industry at large. If you were to kind of distill these months, weeks, days into a few key callouts or notable behavioral shifts that will, will kind of serve as a guide and light or reference point for like when we look back. Like, what would it be? Because I can't help but think, and this is probably going to be uber philosophical for a podcast, but like, I can't help but think like five years down the line, like, how are people going to be looking back at this time? How are people going to be studying it and referring to it to guide not just the work that they do individually, but like as a business? I mean, it's kind of profound probably, but like, you know what I mean? Like, what would be the key points, I guess? Yeah, that's an absolutely great question. It is very profound. If you think about change in general, just in any time span, you could probably have a very detailed conversation that ranges from the tactical to the philosophical. Here, we have something that was enormously disruptive on a not just national, but global level. Everything from global supply chains to the way people feel about interactions with other human beings. That's not something we've really experienced probably perhaps since 1918 when we had the last global outbreak with the Spanish flu back then. So we've done a lot of research to try to understand what has happened. And you could probably put the outcome into a few separate buckets. Some things have changed and they're going to stay changed, at least for the foreseeable future. Some things changed and then the pendulum has started to swung back. And then some things really haven't changed all that much. And I'm going to talk about some of those in more detail. And this is based on a lot of the surveys that we did. And, and your timing for this podcast couldn't be better. We just completed a survey last weekend where we really asked consumers, what has changed and you think is going to stay changed? I think we even use the word forever. Now, forever in a survey really means like the next six months because it's very hard to predict forward-looking behavior beyond about 12 months. So take forever with a grain of salt, but for the next 12 months, which is really what most executives care about, what has changed? And we asked this to consumers, and I'll just go over the top three or four answers. One, I will always be stocked up on essential items. Two-thirds of consumers. This was the number one answer. And this is because people were burned. They felt the pain of not having toilet paper. They felt the pain of not being able to get sanitizer. They felt the pain of not being able to get Clorox wipes. And they said, I'm going to be stocked up. I'm going to be better prepared. That was my bad. I wasn't stocked up. I wasn't prepared. Uh, they feel that's under co their control. They want to get a sense of control back about having things. So that was the number one answer. The number two answer and the number three answer are more about safety. 
I'm going to make some tweaks to how I operate in order to increase the personal safety of me and my family. I'm going to make fewer but bigger shopping trips when I do physical in-store purchases. So folks, one overriding theme here is that people still actually like the idea of doing physical in-store purchases. Certainly there's been a long-term trend to retail shifting online, and that'll probably continue, but the death of the store in some sense has been greatly exaggerated. People will just use the store differently. They're going to make fewer but larger trips. They are also going to see what they can buy online more. And then a quarter said, I'm going to be a little more brand agnostic. And I think that gets back to just being stocked up on things. I, instead of waiting for my favorite brand to come back, if you're not there in the store, I'm just going to buy whatever's available because I'd rather have the product, even if it's my second choice as opposed to my first choice. So those are things that have changed and will continue to be different. There's also a lot going on where people have said, yeah, there are things I used to do that I still want to do. Omnichannel was becoming big. And so consumers are telling us that, yep, I'm going to continue to layer in online purchases where that makes sense. And that's you know, had a spike up, sort of a discontinuity in the trend, and then the trend will continue up there, we believe. And that brands and retailers, therefore, need to meet consumers where consumers are. The days of you telling a consumer how to use you are, are long gone, of course. Consumers will tell you how I want to interact with you. I may want to walk in a store and pick things. I may want to go online and do buy online, pick up in store. I want you to pick things for me and I'll pick it up. And I might go into the store to pick it up because I want to grab another thing. Or I might want you to bring it out to my vehicle. Or I might just want you to ship it to my house. Consumers are going to have those preferences and you need to meet the consumer where the consumer is. Whether you're a retailer or a brand, that's how you need to be thinking about the consumer experience. And then we also ask consumers a bit about that in-store shopping experience. For example, 93% of Americans said, you know, for essential items, even in a pandemic, we're still buying those things in-store. So traditional grocery, health and beauty, anything that I need right away, there's still a very strong demand for a good in-store experience. So if you do have an in-store presence, especially if you have a great in-store and a great online presence, we think that's the formula for win right now based on what consumers are telling us. Also, a lot of consumers said that they're going to do a majority of their essential shopping in-store. That's 86%. And 73% said even for non-essential shopping, they want to do that back in stores. They feel a lot better about the safety of in-store shopping. A huge fraction of Americans, I don't think we beat meet Biden's 70% goal by July 4th, but we're getting close to it. And we've already exceeded it in key states like California, some of the New England, the West Coast, more progressive areas have higher vaccination rates, and that's leading to consumers being more comfortable with being back in stores, which is a great thing for retailers for whom that's an option. The other thing I mentioned earlier was about brand loyalty, and the, the pandemic really disrupted brand loyalty because brand took a second position to availability and logistical issues. At one point at the start of the pandemic, when there was panic buying for things that were out of stock and for essential items, we found that 85% of Americans said brand didn't matter nearly as much as it had. Over the past year, consumers have tried out a lot of new brands and products. And some of those changes in purchasing behavior and reduction in brand loyalty, we think will actually continue to go forward. And that's going to inform strategies for both brands and retailers. And then finally, there's a shift that had been going on before the pandemic, but is probably accelerated during the pandemic too. When brand does matter, 
Consumers want to support brands and retailers that stand for something, and they want that something to align with their personal beliefs. And this tends to be stronger the younger you get also. Consumers find that things like brands that align with their values on topics like racial injustice or LBGTQ rights or global warming, environmental issues, sustainability, labor treatment, transparency, you know, sort of the list goes on and on. They're voting with their dollars is what they're doing. And so if you're a retailer and if you happen to have those values already, you can certainly play that up. And if you don't, you might take a step back and say, what kind of values can I develop that I think people would find favorable or find alignment with their own beliefs. So there's a lot of ways things have changed. There's some changes that have occurred that are maybe unwinding in terms of people maybe not having been in stores as much. We think that's unwinding some and people are coming back. They want to come back. And then there's some things that are very different and are going to remain different going forward. Yeah, definitely definitely a lot to unpack there. But I do want to double click into the area of the specific channels being used, the role of the store specifically, because to your point, we're recording this conversation at the tail end of June. We are seeing mass guidelines change, vaccination rates slowly improve. Granted, variables are different depending on the state. So it seems like the constant, despite some of the headlines saying the contrary, people do want to go back into the stores. The, the key value is in that instant gratification, right? Being able to purchase, say, essential items. And even though online played a more critical role for obvious reasons during the pandemic, that store experience still is going to be central. Is that kind of like the appropriate way to distill things? Or like, how could you kind of encapsulate like the key shopping behavior necessities or, or shifts that are present right now. Right. And uh, yeah, like you said, there's headlines and then there's what's really going on and you right. can observe it with your own two eyes. I mean, I went into the Home Depot the other day and the place was mobbed. Now, there's a lot over the last 12 months where people have been making home improvements. They're staying where they are. Housing prices are probably a bubble too high to move. So what's happening is people are flooding into home improvement retailers and saying, I'm going to take advantage of what I have. I'm going to make this better instead of worrying about moving somewhere else. You go into a Trader Joe's, the place is mobbed. People are going in there. They like the value. They're still wearing masks. A lot of places, California has ended its mask mandate where I am, but a lot of people are just in the habit of wearing a mask. It's certainly your option as the consumer. You'll be able to wear a mask indefinitely if you want to. In other countries, Japan, for example, mask wearing was always common. It was just something you did, especially in the winter season. So these may be changes that consumers say, I'm fine going back in the store. I'm going to make my own personal changes. I'm going to keep wearing a mask. I'm going to keep my distance a little bit. Maybe if I hear someone coughing or sneezing, I'm going to take a few steps back from them. These are probably just good practices, COVID or any other easily communicable disease. So I think some of that is going to change. But on the flip side, we specifically ask people, are you more comfortable going in a store now than a year ago? 50% said, yes, I am, between their own ability to make positive changes, like bringing their own sanitizer, wearing their own mask, and a really mass vaccination program that's been remarkably successful by a lot of measures. As you get to steps that require more intimacy with product, 
such as trying on clothing or maybe experimenting with merchandise in store. We also asked, are you comfortable with that? And 61% of consumers said they were comfortable trying on an article of clothing or experimenting with merchandise in store. Some of that's because we know more about COVID, that it's you get it more through being around a person than an inanimate object, for example. And so as people have learned more about how these things are transmitted, I think it's leading to more comfort with the retail experience in a lot of places. Other things people tell us is that many want to continue to use or increase their use of self-checkout, 62%. Self-checkout is an awesome win-win. It's one less person touching your groceries, and it's also a labor savings for a grocer. Curbside pickup just gives you less time in the store. 32% said they want to keep doing that. And 32% like touchless payment options. So some of the innovation that we've seen during the pandemic is likely to stay and accelerate the change that was already in place in traditional retail, and especially something like grocery, where it was maybe a little higher touch. Well, that's excellent. That kind of leads me to a follow-up point. I know in a past installment of Shopcake's research, there was significant mention of retailers in-store safety guidelines and sanitation practices. And obviously that was huge at the start of the pandemic because there was so much uncertainty around like what are the requirements or best practices? How does this spread exactly? I think it's still important, but I'm curious, you know, what are the consumers saying? Is this still top of the top in terms of what's dictating their in-store browsing and, and buying patterns? Or are we seeing kind of like a melding, right? Like you're, you're talking about the value of curbside pickup and self-checkout. Those are kind of omni-channel experience tactics, but they're also in a way kind of like a safety tactic, right? Like they're protecting themselves from having to interact with others. So like, are, are you finding that like these worlds or like these facets are kind of blending together now that we're kind of looking at safety and health in a more holistic way? Yeah, absolutely. Again, we uh, as a society were fairly lax about health and safety before this compared to other countries. If you spend any time in, say, Japan, for example, the just general level of cleanliness in a retail establishment was head and shoulders better than what we tolerate here in America. And I think that this is forced a reckoning. It's forced a reckoning to say that, you know, retailers have to up their game. But our survey data echoes that. 64% of consumers said their outlook on health and safety when it comes to in-store shopping will be changed on a long-term basis. Many people have very specific things that they would like retailers to continue doing, at least for the rest of the year. The top two were continuing to offer disinfectants for customers and sort of an enhanced level of disinfecting. You'll notice that when you get a cart the carts say like disinfected. They reinforce the message that the retailers have stepped up now and they are engaging in a higher level of cleanliness than they had in the past. Other thing that consumers like is like the plexiglass barriers at checkout counters. And then they'll take their own measures, bring their own sanitizer, their own mask and so forth. So we think that this is an opportunity for retailers and even brands to think about what are new technologies and new ways to run their businesses with a viewpoint about health, health and safety of, of the consumer. Oh, that's great. So I do want to ask, are there any variants at the demographic level in terms of what consumers want or what they expect for the in-store experience? Or are there any 
variables that are impacting like what they shop for in stores. I guess I'm trying to understand if there are any demographic nuances that would be helpful for our retail listeners right now. Yeah, I think it does vary quite a bit. And it's funny because the younger respondents to our survey and specific Gen Zers and millennials, and you know, millennials now, they're getting old, right? They've got people in their 40s that are millennials. They're actually more comfortable. 75% of Gen Z, 54% of millennials said they're more comfortable in the indoor settings, especially after receiving a vaccination. While those numbers were less than 50% for the older cohorts, the Gen Xers and the baby boomers. Now, the Gen Xers aren't at unusually high risk from COVID, but baby boomers and older, the silent generation, are where most of the deaths are actually occurring from COVID. So it is understandable that they would be a little more hesitant and perhaps less enthusiastic. But the younger you are, the more you're thinking, I want things to go back to normal. I'm happy to have things go back to normal. And I feel comfortable with things going back to normal. And given that that's what drives a lot of spending, I think that's a good sign for retailers. We also asked just coincidentally, how confident are you in the vaccine in general? The results are a little different there. It's much more consistent. Groups are equally confident that this thing actually works, which is a good sign. But the translation of that confidence into actual retail behavior is occurring more quickly on the younger demographics. So with that, I mean, obviously our goal is to provide a baseline to help retailers take this data and do something with it. Um, so, I mean, just based on your research, what you're hearing from consumers, are there any possibly emerging challenges that retailers may need to prepare for, you know, as things continue to pick back up, as we're getting into like holiday and back to school season? I mean, are there any new behaviors or or any, I guess, words from the consumer's voice that, that could pose some risks or challenges for them moving forward? that they need to address sooner rather than later? Yeah. So for example, supply chain, right? This hit everyone out of the blue and we're still seeing it. Sometimes you place an online order for a table and it says it'll be there in four months. That's an online example, but you see the same thing in physical retail where better understanding your supply chain, where everything comes from, where the bottlenecks might be, you know, even automakers have gotten a little burned by chip shortages. They didn't think of themselves as being really chip dependent, but they really are in a new modern automobile. Product availability has had a lot of implications for the success of brands this year. If your product's not available, a consumer can't buy it. And therefore, they've had to shift gears. And maybe you lost some brand loyalty because of that. Out-of-stock products is cited by our users as the most stressful experience. We are trained to think, go to store, want X, buy X. We're almost spoiled as a society. That's an amazing thing that many, many hands behind the scenes work to make that possible. And we've seen how hard that is now and everything from sometimes it's hard to even get a ship. Can't get a ship. Some retailers, rumor has it they're buying ships just to get stuff shipped from, from Asia to here. So there's a lot that goes on to get that product on the shelf. And that stresses consumers out when the product is not there. And some weren't prepared for that surge in demand and you may start to see that surge again in stores as consumers start feeling better about everything and maybe spending a little more. No, oh, it's very interesting. So obviously, we're recording this in the summertime. Before you know it, we're going to be starting to pick up conversations around back to school. Before you know it, it's the holiday season. It's really a whirlwind as we get into the Q4 period. So taking into account the fact that younger consumers 
are not just confident in the efficacy of the vaccine, but also comfortable, eager, excited to go back into store. How does this translate into future strategy for retailers? Like, are you expecting traffic to continue to pick up steam as we get into Q4? And what role do you anticipate the store to play during this time? Because you talked a lot about the role of the store for essential items, but obviously back to school, holiday, we we get into other categories there. So what do you think retailers need to be preparing for? Yeah, I think that's true. I think you're going to see a lot of the retail experience mirror the physical experience that people are having. So last year, a lot of folks weren't packed to school at this time. A lot of folks didn't go visit friends and family for holidays. So things were done more virtually. Things were done apart. Now we're going to be together. Most of us with kids, they're back in school. They're back in K-12. They're back in preschool. I think the retail experience is going to mirror that, right? My kids are going back to school. I'm comfortable with sort of physical experiences. I'm going to be back in a store buying things for them. Same with the holidays, right? It's it's going to be that holiday where we actually do get to go see grandma and grandpa again. And we're going to bring them gifts and we're going to go to the store. And I think that that's just going to carry through to everything we do. When you look at the survey data, it says that 92% of our users do plan to cross off lists, whether it's back to school or holiday lists in physical retailers. And that was 66% a year ago. So there's been a huge rebound there. And I think that consumers, they're really hungry for that sense of normalcy. They want to get back to what they're used to, whether that's their kids in school, whether that's going into a store. That's what I think you're going to see. And I think retailers should be prepared for this influx that is hopefully and presumably going to come their way. No, that's excellent. And is there anything in the way of digital's influence that that we need to talk about that hasn't been discussed thus far? I mean, obviously, we've talked about the role of Omnichannel, which, you know, everyone's paying very close attention to. But I think there's something to be said for the people that were relying more on digital over the past year that maybe said, hey, I'm getting everything I need through digital. I'm going to limit the store visits as much as possible, which I, I think you referred to earlier. But is there anything about like the digital influence? or digital's role in general that um, retailers need to consider or, or integrate into their planning, especially as we get into those crucial selling periods? Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a day, maybe even a year and a half ago, where some retailers hung on to this like extremely old school and completely fallacious notion that I have a website and I've got stores and never the twain shall meet. And they'd have different people running them and you know different philosophies and this and that. And you know nothing could be farther from the truth because it's a channel-centric approach instead of a user-centric approach, right? Your, your focus should always be on the customer. The customer sees you as a retailer. They don't see you as a website retailer over here and a physical store retailer over here. They see you as, I'm gonna get stuff from Retailer X. And so the more that Retailer X thinks about having all those different channels and having a unified, completely seamless experience and meeting the consumer where the consumer wants to be. Consumers are gonna wanna be fully digital. They're gonna wanna be fully in store. They're gonna wanna be buy online, pick up in store. They're gonna wanna use you differently. Different people wanna use you differently. The same person's gonna wanna use you differently over time. So having a consumer first mindset not a channel-first mindset, is probably going to be a big differentiator between those who succeed and those who fail. The merging of the physical and the digital, that's what it's all about. 
make a seamless experience, fully understand your user, meet them where they want to be. That would be my advice. Wow. That is a fantastic rallying cry, Jason. <laughs> I love it. Um, and we, we've gotten into so much data, data that we are going to link to in the show notes for people to check out and dig into on their own if they so wish. But before I let you go, I mean, again, fantastic rallying cry to merge the digital and the physical together. But is there anything else that you think is important for our retail listeners to know? Any closing insights or best practices, takeaways? You have spent so many months listening to the consumer firsthand. So is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think is important for everyone to know right now? I don't know if there's a lot of truly new things, but I'll reiterate a few key points. So admittedly being a biased person because I oversee analytics and data science, data is your friend here. Data's fresh. Data's hot. Data can tell you what's going on probably before anyone else. Sometimes a real experienced manager has human intelligence, and I'm always an advocate of like looking at your data and also looking at your human intelligence and getting the data folks in the room with the folks that are boots on the ground and human intelligence. Because if you get the same story, you're probably like 99% sure you're right. If you get different stories, then you got to investigate and figure out what's really going on, and maybe there's some subtleties there. So always bring data to the table. It's a great additive to human intelligence, experience, you know, and kind of tribal knowledge that your organization has. Second point I would say is, yeah, we had a big change. No big light bulb there. But what is happening is now we're coming back, a lot of people would argue, almost stronger than ever. You're seeing that in some odd ways coming up, even in the macro economy. We didn't get into this a lot, but we haven't really had an inflationary mindset in this country for decades. Inflation has been low to non-existent, and now it's on top of mind for people, rising prices. The cost of lumber has tripled. It's backing down some now, but the cost of things are going up, and so that affects the consumer mindset. Retailers and brands want to be aware of that. If you try to give me seven slices of cheese when you used to give me eight, I'm going to notice that. Consumers aren't stupid. There's this perception sometimes that I can cut corners and get away with things. And, you know, the data we see indicates that you actually can't do that. So don't try to take the shortcuts. Don't try to, like, jip the consumers. If you've got to charge more, you know, maybe explain it and let them know why that your input costs have gone up. People understand that. Don't give me, you know, 1.75 quarts for something that used to be a half gallon. That's, that's just being cheap. And keep an eye on things. Change isn't done yet. It's unclear what will happen. We think we're out of the woods, but there's still an edge case that this thing roars back from the 30% of people that are unvaccinated or from the new Delta or other variants at the end of the year. So remaining nimble, keeping your eye on the data and being prepared for change to continue would be very good advice for brands and retailers. A lot of companies can help you with that. You've got people like Shopkick that keep our pulse on top of what's going on, especially in store. You've got other companies that are really strong online. You've got companies like Trax that digitize what's going on in the store. These are all data elements that can help inform retailers and brands kind of about their world and about consumer behavior. And so leverage them, take advantage of them. Keep your eye on the data, folks. What a way to close out, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) You should get that on t-shirts. I'm just putting it out there. You betcha. (laughs) Well, Jason, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate you taking the time. So much great insight, so many profound takeaways in some cases that I think all of our listeners can take, chew on, and hopefully apply moving forward. So thank you again so much for taking the time. Really appreciated it. Alicia, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me on this program. 
And uh, to all of you, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any follow-up questions for Jason, we'd love to see them and, of course, continue the conversation. So drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or on LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints. And if you have any general feedback on this episode or Retail Remix as a whole, leave a review. We're on all preferred podcast networks. We'd love to hear your feedback and just ensure that we're having the most helpful relevant and timely conversations for all of you. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.